0: All right. I have to admit I was sitting there and I became convicted. Yes, we like the Seahawks. If you don't like the Seahawks, if you're like one of those, like, like, you know, maybe like you're a Raiders fan or, 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 you know what? Even if you're a 49ers fan, we love you. We love you. God loves you. And even, even if you're like, I don't even like football. You know what? we're here to worship God, not to worship the Seahawks. And so we welcome you to worship God with us today. And uh, I'm excited, uh, no matter uh, what sport you like or don't like or team you like or don't like, that we can worship God together because that's why we're here. So there we go. A story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath is probably one of those most recognizable Recognizable uh, biblical stories, whether you're in the church or outside of the church, whether you're a Christian or not, people know about the story. We, we, we love a good underdog story. We love watching the little guy rise up and, and defeat the big guy. We, we, we cheer for the underdog. And so you see this play out a number of different ways in real life. We we think about an example like Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela stood against the racial apartheid government in South Africa and we cheer for a guy like that. For you sports fan, we think about the 2007 Super Bowl. Remember the 2007 Super Bowl? New England Patriots ran through the regular season 17 and 0. See, I'm glad nobody cheered for the Patriots right here right now. Uh the New England Patriots had an undefeated season and they were the overwhelming odd to, to defeat the New York football Giants who finished the season nine and seven and barely made it into the playoffs as a, as a wild card team. But remember David Tyree made that crazy catch against his helmet. Anybody actually remember seeing that? Remember that guy's name, David Tyree? That's the only thing he's ever known for is that one catch. And the New York football Giants, they were the underdog and they beat the New England Patriots in the 2007 Super Bowl. I think about the, the 2004 Red Sox. Uh, again, I'm a sports guy, so sorry for my sports analogies. Uh, 2004 Red Sox, they were in the, the ALCS, the American League Championships Baseball Series against the New York Yankees. And they were down zero games to three. The first team to win four games would go on to the World Series. Remember what happened in this, in this series? The the Red Sox were down zero to three, and they did something that no other team in all of history of baseball has done. They came back from the 0-3 deficit to win the series and went on to win the World Series. We love a good underdog story. We, We cheer for that underdog. And so, Today, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to look at this underdog story of David versus Goliath. If you need a Bible, we've got an usher in the back. Step your hand up and uh, we'll come and bring one of our uh, Bibles to you. And I'd uh, love for you to be able to keep that and take that home if you need that. I uh, encourage you to do that. You know, one of the things with this story is most of us are familiar with this story. We, we we think we think well. I know the story of David and Goliath. You've got David who was a little boy and and he took his sling and a few rocks and he hit the giant on the head and and he killed him. I I, I get that story. I understand it. It's the story of a little guy taking on a big guy and the little guy wins. But there is something far more important for us to recognize in this story than just a little guy taking on a big guy. This story is a picture of a of a of a of a bigger struggle, a greater struggle that is still continuing to this very day. It's a, it's a picture of a of a battle, of a struggle that that you and I are probably all too familiar with. So if this story of David and Goliath is new to you, or it's something that you've heard many times, I'm going to ask you just to lean in. And let God speak to you today. And let God show you something new today. With that, I'm asking you to join me in prayer for for our message. God, we're so thankful for the opportunity to open up your word. God, we know this isn't just a pastor's opinion we're going to listen to, but God, this is your word being taught. This is your word you've given to us. So God, I pray that you would give us understanding. Even though some of us are so familiar with the story, God, I pray that you would give us new eyes to see it new. God, I, I know that you know exactly what it is that we are here for, about what it is we need to hear, about, God, how you want to speak to us today. So, God, I pray that you would, would, would do that. I pray that we would open our hearts, that, God, we would allow you to, to speak to us, to change us, to draw us to yourself, to comfort us, to encourage us, to convict us. God, we know that's what your word does. So, God, I pray that your spirit would be with us now, that you would do that. God, we thank you for this opportunity and we plead for your presence in your name. Amen. So we're going to read just a little bit for a little bit of background. There's, there's actually a lot of verses here. So uh, we're going to break it up into, into portions and, 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 and we'll go from there. So First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. And it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soca, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soca and Azekah in ephes And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up, in the line, drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on uh, mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. So you've got to just picture this, okay? The valley of Elah was probably like a mile-wide valley. And on either side, you've got a, a hill that rises up about a half mile up. On either side. And so on either side, you've got this canyon in the middle. On the other side, you've got the Philistines on one side. They're the enemy of God, the arch nemesis of God's people. And then you've got the Israelites on the other side, God's people. And they're standing here getting ready for a battle. And the story says in verse 4, And it says, And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him, and he stood, and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, "'Why have you come out to draw up for battle?' Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed dismayed, and greatly afraid. See, we hear this idea about who this Goliath guy is, and we have a hard time really getting a good understanding for exactly who he is, because we don't use those same type of references. We don't talk in cubits and spans and, and those types of things. So, to translate Goliath into modern language, we need to understand that Goliath was 9 foot 9 inches tall, okay? Now, growing up, I grew up, I was a child of the 90s. And uh, one of the cool things is 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 they had this poster of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was probably the best basketball player who ever lived. I don't know if you agree with that, but that's what I'm saying. And uh, they had this really cool poster that was a life-size poster of Michael Jordan. This poster was like six foot seven inches tall. And I remember hanging this poster up in my room. And it would take from the, the ceiling up to the floor, you'd have this picture of, of Michael Jordan. Now, Drew... Drew Smith in the back, he is six foot seven, okay? Drew, just stand up. Just, just give us a reference for what six foot seven looks like, alright? There we go. Now you actually look taller because you're up at the, 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 the end, you know, up on the top of the, the ramp, okay? Drew is six foot seven. I look, I look like a midget compared to him, okay? Goliath was three feet taller than that, okay? If we tried to put a life-size poster of Goliath in our bedroom, it wouldn't fit because they don't have 10-foot ceilings in houses. Maybe you do, if you're, you know. But typically, your ceiling's going to be 8 or 9 foot tall. So Goliath wouldn't even fit in your bedroom. You couldn't put the life-size poster of him up. But not only are we told about his size, but we're also told about his, his armor, okay? Goliath, dressed in this huge canvas-like uh, coat of mail that was probably made out of bronze, And it would have gone from his shoulders down to his knees, and and it would have weighed somewhere between 175 and 200 pounds, okay? Imagine putting 200 pounds on your back and carrying that around, and then being expected to, to battle with that on. On top of this, not only did he have this coat of mail, he also had these shin guards, uh, these bronze shin guards, because when you're, when you fight against short people like me, I mean, that's, you, you got to protect your shins from short people like me. He also had a, a bronze helmet on, okay? Not only that, he carried a, a bronze javelin or a spear, and the tip of the spear, just the tip itself, was like 20 to 25 pounds, okay? So, so think about this. Think about you go to Costco, you do your grocery shopping and, and, and you've got to unload the groceries and you've got that, that, that big thing of, of water bottles from Costco. Imagine carrying a, uh, a pack of water bottles around all day long. Okay. I've seen some of you carry stuff in. That's not going to work. Is it right? That would be difficult. Imagine carrying that pack of water bottles all day long, and then having to pick that up and throw that at somebody in a battle. This gives you the idea of 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 Goliath, man. And finally, not only did he wear all of this armor, but the Bible says he had a a, a um, armor a shield bearer in front of him. He had a man who who took and, and carried a. a full-size, man-sized shield in front of him to protect Goliath from from the enemy's arrows, okay? So just, just wrap your mind around this picture of Goliath. This guy is mammoth. This guy is a giant. With this guy on their side, the Philistines realized, man, if he was in the MMA, nobody could touch him. If he was a fighter, nobody would touch him. He's too big, he's too strong. And so the the with this guy on their side, with Goliath on their side, the Philistines suggested this. This was a common practice in their day. Instead of having all the soldiers go into battle, they said, why don't we do this? Why don't we have a champion from either side? You you, you guys choose a champion, we'll choose a champion, and they'll come fight in the middle, one-on-one, mano-a-mano. And whoever wins... The no holds barred MMA style fight, whoever wins, they win for their army. And if whoever loses, your army, your whole army loses and has to go and serve the the guys that win. And so, and so this is kind of the way it was, it was set up. And so Goliath is obviously going to be the champion of the Philistines. And he goes out and he, he, he challenges the Israelites. And he says, you know what, Israelites, there's no reason for your whole army to be involved. Send out your best fighter, and and I'll take him on. I'll take him on. I'm the champ. I'll take him on. Let's see if anybody can even come close to me. So for 40 days and 40 nights, twice a day, Goliath comes out taunting the Israelites, challenging them. Send me anybody. Send me whatever champion you got and I'll take him one-on-one and we'll see who is the real champion here. This is where we need to step back from the story just a little bit. Because the temptation is for us to look at the story and think, well, it's just about David and Goliath. It's about a little guy taking on a big guy. But there's so much more going on here because this story is not just about David and Goliath. I mean, yes, we're going to hear about their battle. Yes, yes, we're going to see that. But if that's all we see, I think we're really going to miss the boat. So you remember when we started this series on David, we said that David was a man after God's own heart. He becomes an example for us to follow. He's the object lesson for you and I so we can pursue God's heart to become a people after God's own heart. So this story is not just about David and Goliath. We need to see ourselves in this story. See, chances are, you and I, we aren't fighting against giants made of flesh and bones. We're not fighting against big bullies. In fact, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, "...for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places." You see, you and I are in this story, but our Goliaths, they don't carry swords and shields. Oftentimes, our Goliaths show up in the form of unemployment, show up in the form of abandonment, of addiction, of sexual abuse, depression, health problems, relationship problems, family problems. Yes, your your giants, they don't parade up and down uh, the valley of Elah like Goliath did. But let's be honest, your giants, they prance around in your office. They prance around on your computer. They're they're all over your bedroom, in your classroom. They fill your head. Your Goliaths bring bills that you can't pay. They bring grades that you can't make. They bring, they bring people that you cannot please. They bring alcohol you cannot resist. They bring pornography you cannot refuse. They bring a career you cannot, you cannot escape. They bring a past that you cannot shake. They bring a future that you're afraid to face. Your giant tells you that you'll never amount to anything. He says, you'll never overcome this hurdle. You will always fail. See, Goliath, he roared day and night. He, he challenged them and taunted them day and night. Your Goliath does the same thing. It's the first thing you think about in the morning. It's the last thing you think about as you're laying in your bed. It dominates your day. It infiltrates your joy. And in the face of such difficulty, in the face of such overwhelming odds, there's no doubt that you and I begin to lose hope. Just like Saul and his army. Verse 11 says that when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is what happens. This is what happens. And I hope that you and I, I hope you have in your mind a picture of your Goliath. That thing that stands between you and freedom. That thing that stands between you and success. Because let me tell you what, if you cannot picture your Goliath in your mind, if if you don't have any problems in your life, man, I want to hear how you're living. Because that's not the way I've seen life play out. Because if any of you have that life, man, I'll trade you. Because I know my life is full of difficulties and hardships and, and challenges And so for the rest of us that have problems, for the rest of us that face difficulties, David, the man after God's own heart, he's going to show us what a heart of courage looks like and how God uses a heart of courage to overcome the Goliaths in our lives. So let's look at this story. In verse 17, Jesse, who's David's father, He's concerned about the three oldest sons that are in Saul's army. And so he calls David and says, Hey, David, I want you to come in. I want you to leave the sheep. I want you to come in and I want you to go on an errand for me. I've I've made this lunch. I've made these sack lunches. I've made some sandwiches and and put some chips in a baggie. And I want you to take this, this lunch. And I want you to go out to the army. I want you to give your brothers their lunch. I want you to have something to eat. And I want you to check on them and let them know that I'm praying for them and I'm concerned for them. So... David, being a good son, he does that. He leaves the sheep with another shepherd. He goes out to the, uh, to the battle. And uh, as soon as he gets to the edge of the Israelite camp, he sees the troops heading out for battle. And all of a sudden, he hears that war cry from Goliath. You can picture David. He's a kid. He's a young man. He's excited. He wants to see what's going to go on. This is this exciting for a young boy to see a battle in front of him. So it says this is what happens. Verse 22. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. And he ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with him, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. You just got to picture this. David sitting there talking to his brothers. And all of a sudden, here comes the Philistine. All of a sudden, here comes Goliath. And he's taunting, he's taunting the Israelites from the other side of the valley. And verse 24 says, everybody around, uh, David's big brothers, Saul, the entire army, all of them were in fear of Goliath, and they ran and they hid. And here's David watching all of this play out. And how do you think David's going to respond? Read the first verse 26. We can read the very first words that David spoke, not just in this battle, but in the whole Bible. Verse 26 says, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is his uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So you want to know what a courageous heart looks like? The first thing that Davis is gonna te- David's going to teach us about a courageous heart is a courageous heart focuses more on God than on our Goliaths. See, here's David. He shows up, and first thing he does is discuss God. You look around at everybody else. You look at the soldiers. You look at David's brothers. You look at Saul. None of them have mentioned God. All they can see is Goliath. But David, David takes one step onto the scene and he raises the subject of the living god you see this all throughout the story later when, when david goes before king saul he goes before king saul and and his question isn't well how big is goliath what is his pedigree how many how many battles has he won before what are my odds no verse 37 says and david said to saul the lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Again, he raises the subject of God and he continues the same thing when he actually goes and faces Goliath. After Goliath mocks David, David replies in verse 45, you come to me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. See, nobody else discusses God. And David, he discusses nothing else. See, let's be honest. When we have these giants, when we have these difficulties in our life, who gets most of our attention? Typically, it's going to be the giant. Typically, it's going to be that problem, that difficulty, that circumstance. In our modern world with so much information at our fingertips called Google, we spend so much time researching and reading and thinking and fretting, and we, we justify it and call it our due diligence. See, a few months ago, my mom was diagnosed with esophageal cancer, stage three. And the first thing you do when you hear cancer cancer is like a train derailment, like everything is it's just broken after that happens, and you're like, I don't know what to do. And so I got the call. Hey, mom's sick. She's got cancer. You know what I started doing? I jumped on Google. Let me read everything I can. Let me get as much information about it as I can. And I start reading and reading. And I'll tell you what, for two days, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't work. I had a hard time eating because your mind begins filled with all of this this stuff that you can find out. And, And my mind was filled with this nasty word called cancer. What was my focus on? on the cancer. It wasn't on God. It was on cancer. See, in 1 Samuel, David sees what others don't, and he refuses to see what everybody else does. See, everybody else's, their focus was on Goliath. All eyes were on Goliath. If you could read Saul's journal from that time, every day he would have been writing about how how taunting and how difficult and how scary Goliath was. The most common Twitter hashtag during those 40 days was Goliath. Hashtag Goliath. Hashtag giant. Everybody was talking about Goliath. And nobody mentions God. Except for David. Yes, David sees Goliath just like everybody else. He just sees God as so much greater. David shows up discussing God. And as soon as David shows up discussing God, guess what happens? Goliath falls down. to have a courageous heart like david's we have to shift from focusing on our giant to focusing on the problem to instead focusing on god first and foremost see the real plot in this story the real plot in the story it isn't david versus goliath the real plot in the story is god focus versus goliath focus it's, it's god for focus versus giant focus. Because this is what the heart of God does. It sees, it, sees, it sees God so much greater than the supposed giant in front of them. I mean, yes, Goliath is real for you and I, just as he was for David. But the question is, is God bigger than your giant? Is God bigger than your circumstance? Is God bigger than your difficulty? Because I tell you what, the only way that we will have that, that, that heart of courage... The only way that we will become people after God's own heart is if we have a bigger view of God than whatever it is in front of us. Sure, that looks like a difficulty, but God is so much bigger, and God is so much greater. So David shows up and discusses God. In verse 26, he starts asking around, and he says, Hey, what's going to be done for the guy who fights Goliath? And Saul, Saul says, i got a plan for that. I got, I got a plan for that. Now, if anybody should have gone and fought Goliath, it should have been Saul. Saul was the king. He was the leader of the people, of all people. In fact, 1 Samuel chapter 9 says that, that Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He's a tall guy. He's like Drew. He's just a, a big guy in that, and he should have been the most qualified. <clears throat> but Saul was a coward. Saul was a coward. So he came up with a plan to entice somebody else to fight Goliath. And so he said, hey, if you fight Goliath, here's what I promise you. I'm going to promise you a bunch of riches. If you fight Goliath, I'm going to give you my daughter's hand in marriage. You can marry the princess. He says, if you fight Goliath, I promise you that your father's house will be exempt from taxes. How many of you would jump on board for that? A few of you? Yes, yes, a few of you would. Okay. So he says, here's what's going to happen. But this had not produced one single volunteer. Because Goliath was too intimidating. So word gets out to Saul. Hey, Saul, there's some kid. There's someone who's, who's asking what's going to be happen if they fight Goliath. And so Saul says, hey, bring that, bring that person to me. Bring him to me. Verse 32 says this. David goes before Saul. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So, this is the same principle that we talked about last week about how man, about human beings, we judge on appearance. Saul is not looking at David's heart. He just looks at David and says, Man, you're just a little teenager. You're just a little scrawny cross country runner. There's no way that you can fight this Goliath. You're just a child. But remember, God's not concerned with outward appearances. In fact, the way that God's kingdom works is he likes to take the weak to use to change the world. Because that way, God's the only one who can get the credit for it. So verse 34, David starts saying, Saul, you know, I can fight him. I can fight him. And he tells the story, hey, here's what God has done. When I when I was watching the sheep and there was a there was a lion who came and tried to attack the sheep, God strengthened me so I could kill the lion, and 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 the tiger the same thing and the bear the same thing. He's saying lions, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! God has strengthened me to defend them from the sheep to keep the sheep safe. In verse thirty seven, David summarizes and says, "The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me." From the, land of this, from the hand of this Philistine. See, the second thing that David is going to teach us about having a, a courageous heart is we have to learn to remember the right things. We have to remember to remember. We have to learn to remember the right things. See, David, he remembers God's provisions, God's faithfulness to him in the past. God had helped David defend the sheep against lions and tigers and bears. And, and if God could do that, if God could help him in those situations, then surely God could help him right here and right now with this giant. See, so often when we face these big problems, when we face these, these, these difficult circumstances, when we face our giants, we forget the things that we should remember and, remember. and we remember the things we should forget. We are so quick to forget the ways that God has provided for us In the past, we are so easy to forget the miracles that God has done with us in the past. The way that God has showed himself to be faithful time and time and time again in our lives. And in the shadow of that Goliath, we forget those victories. And we begin reciting the failures of our past in vivid detail. Yeah, remember when this happened? That sucked. Remember when this happened? And this, and this, and this. See, I think this is one of Satan's biggest tactics. If he can get us discouraged to remember all the bad things that have happened, there's no way we'll rise up to fight Goliath. There's no way we will overcome. And so what Satan does is he, fill, he fills our minds with failures instead of God's faithfulness. As a leader, as a leader, it is so, it is so easy for me to be preoccupied with my mess-ups. It is so easy for me to be consumed and mourn over my missed opportunities and feel, man, I, I have nothing to offer. Man, I suck. I'm not a good leader. Look at all these times I failed. See, but if I actively think through, if I actively think through God's hand in my life and in our church, it's one great big story of God's faithfulness. Each hardship I faced, man, God has been there. God has showed up and God has done tremendous things in every one of those circumstances. And I think back to my life and it is one big story of one big strand of God's faithfulness through my entire life of God showing up, of God providing, of God taking care of me. Yet how many times do we forget those good things? How many times do we forget the fact that God showed up? God showed up when we least expected him. David, the heart of courage, the man after God's own heart, this is what he does. He says, you know why I can fight Goliath? Because the same God who shut up before, the same God who gave me power over a lion and a tiger and a bear, that same God will give me power over Goliath. It's in his strength that I rely on. This is a principle we have to learn to remember the right things. So with that, verse 37 says that Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Isn't it remarkable how people use spiritual cliches to cover up their faithless lies? They know all the right words to use and all the religious verbiage, but that's not from Saul's heart. Saul doesn't really care about God. He's only caring about himself. Then Saul says, hold on, David, hold on. We got to dress you up for battle. We got to get you ready for battle. And so Saul says, David, come here. And he takes his armor and he takes his helmet and he takes his sword and he gives it to David and says, hey, you're going to go into battle. You got to wear this. Now you got a picture. Remember, Saul's a big guy. Saul would have been like a a 56 long. He would have been a big guy with a big coat. And here's David. He wears like a, like a, like a 36 regular. You know, he's a small guy. And you can picture, you can picture Saul's big coat on David and his helmet and his, and his sword. And and David says, I can't even, I can't even walk with this, let alone try and fight in it. And so David drops the armor and says, you know, I'm just going to go with what I got. In verse 40 says, David took his staff in his hand and he chose five stones from the brook and he put them in a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. See, there's this temptation that we always have to uh, put our armor on somebody else or we try to put somebody else's armor on ourselves. But David says that's not the way to do battle. I mean, I've experienced this in my own life as a as a leader and as a pastor, where I look at some other successful pastor and be like, man, I want to be like that. I want to do it like that. And I try and be that person. And you know what I find? You know what I found? is that I don't have to try to be some other person. If I would just be me, if I would just be who God wired me to be, then God uses that. God uses that in tremendous ways when we stop trying to put on somebody else's skin and just be comfortable with the way that God made us. So here's David, the boy coming out to fight Goliath. And Goliath sees David and he laughs. And he says, what am I, a dog? You're sending this little twig, this little stick to come and fight me? What are you doing here? And, and, and this, is what, this is what David says in response. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But listen to this, he says, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. See, here's the third thing. If we are going to have a courageous heart like David, we have to know that we're not alone. We have to understand that we are not alone. Notice in verse 45 that that David talks about the plural armies of Israel. Now, the common observer, they see one army. They see the army of Israel, and that's all they see, but not David. David knows that God is on his side. And if God is on his side, then everything under God's power is at his disposal. If God's on his side, then he knows that there are platoons of angels and infantries of saints and weapons of the wind and forces of the earth standing beside David. We we have the picture of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 when God says, when he says, open up our eyes and let us see. Let us see the angels and the platoons of armies standing beside us. David knows he's not alone. Because if you have God on your side, God is the omnipotent. He's the all-powerful. God could do any number of things. God could 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 pellet the, the enemy with hail like he did for Moses. God could collapse the walls around the city like he did for Joshua. God could send fire from heaven like he did for Elijah. See, we have to understand, when you face that Goliath, when you face that giant, that difficulty, you're not alone. You've got God standing beside you. And David finishes his speech and he goes before Goliath and he picks up, <clears throat> picks up, the story picks up in verse 48. It says, And when the Philistines arose and came and draw near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. That's yeah, probably one of my favorite parts of this whole story. Uh, no, no, not the part where David picks up the stone slings the stone at, at the Goliath and Goliath falls. No, my favorite part of the story was in verse 48 when it says, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. See, here's what happened. David, he just gave that speech. He said, God's on my side and God will give me the victory so that everybody here knows that God is real, that God is mighty and the battle is really his. And with that knowledge, with knowing that God is with him, he rushes out to meet Goliath. See, this is number four for us. A courageous heart rushes out to to face our Goliath with a God-saturated heart. Remember, everybody else He's afraid of Goliath. Everybody else is hiding in fear. And when we face a difficult circumstance, when we face hardship like this, we tend to retreat. We we tend to run away. We tend to hide behind the desk by ourselves in our basement. We tend to crawl into a bottle of distraction. We we tend to forget in the bed of forbidden love. We pretend that we don't see that difficulty in front of us. And you know that works for a moment. That works for a day. That works for a week, maybe a year. And we feel safe. We feel insulated. But eventually, the work runs out. The liquor wears off. The lover leaves. And your problem, your Goliath, is still there, taunting you. And David's example, Try a different tactic. Stop running away in fear. Stop hiding. Go on the offensive. Grab some stones and take a swing at your giant. Rush your giant with a God-saturated heart. Can you see the picture of this? Everybody else is running away and hiding and saying, I don't want anything to do with that. And David says, no, I'm going to get after that. That that Goliath, that giant is not going to stand in defiance of me anymore. I'm not going to listen to his taunts. I'm not going to let him have victory over us. I'm going to rush after him and fight him. This is you and I, we've got to learn to rush our Goliath to run after him on the offensive. This is saying giant of divorce. You are not going to enter my home. This is us saying giant of, of depression. It may take a lifetime, but you are not going to defeat me. This is giant, giant of of alcohol, of of bigotry, of insecurity. You're going down. You're not going to defeat me. You rush your giant with a a God-saturated soul. God did a miracle through David, killing the giant. And God wants to do the same kind of miracle in our lives. That difficulty, that weight you carry, that burden... The same God who took down Goliath can take down yours, can take down whatever it is that stops you. The question is, are you going to run and hide? Or are you going to rush your Goliath with a God-saturated soul? Let me close with, with just this last couple of thoughts. <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes there's this lingering hope in our hearts. That, you know, if we just become men and women after God's own heart, if we become men and women after God's heart, then our problems will begin to dissipate. That we won't have to deal with Goliath anymore. That we won't have these difficulties and these hardships. And you know, that sounds great. And I wish that were true. I wish that was true. But I'll tell you what, even if you pursue God fully, even if you become known as a man or woman after God's own heart, you're still going to have hardships. In fact, I'd be, I'd be doing you a disservice. I'd be doing you a disservice because typically what I find is the opposite. When you fully pursue after God, when you become a man or woman after God's own heart, your battles and your struggles will often intensify. But the thing is, your struggles don't have to defeat you because you've got God on your side. And God, or, God is greater than anything that can be thrown your way. So here's my last thought for the day. As you look back over this chapter, as you look back at everything we just read, only twice, only twice does David ever mention Goliath. He says in verse 26, David asks the men what happens to the man who kills the Philistine, who kills Goliath. In verse 36, there's a statement uh, about Goliath from David to Saul. Two times David mentions Goliath, and really they're just in passing. Two simple statements. He's not questioning. He's not inquiring about Goliath's skill. He's not wondering about the weight of his spear. He's not wondering about the odds of his fight. No, just simple statements. But here's what I want you to do. As you look through this chapter, I want you to circle every time David mentions God. I counted, I went through and I counted nine times that David mentions God. In verse 26, David says, the armies of the living God. In verse 36, he says, the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who delivered me. Verse 45, the Lord of hosts. Verse 45, God of the armies of Israel. Verse 46, the Lord will deliver you. Verse 46, know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, the Lord saves you. Verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. See, I count nine references to God. So here in the battle with Goliath, you have nine God thoughts compared to two Goliath thoughts. Nine to two. Let me ask you, how does that ratio look like in your life? How many Goliath thoughts do you have compared to God thoughts? Do you ponder God's grace four times as much as you ponder your own guilt? Are your lists of blessings four times as long as your list of complaints? Are you four times as likely to remember the strength of God as you are to describe the demands of your day? See, here's the simple truth. Here's the simple story in a nutshell. If you focus on your giants, you stumble. If you focus on God, giants tumble. I wish we would get this and understand this. I wish my heart would understand this. When I focus on my giants, I stumble. We know that David, he had an up and down life. There were some great things that happened in David's life, some things that he did great. But David, man, he screwed up a lot of times too. And in fact, as we go through and we look at the life of David, you're going to see that the times that David focused on his problem, on his Goliath, he stumbled. But the times that David focused on his God, those giants came tumbling down. It'll be the same thing in your life and mine. Focused, Focus on your giants. You stumble. Focus on God and giants tumble. Can I pray? God, just thank you for the opportunity to be gathered today. Thank you for each and every person that is here. God, I pray that you would draw our hearts to, to you. God, I pray that you would give us an understanding. God, these are, are real things. God, I know that there are Giants roaming in our, in our mist. I know there's giants that are lurking in our lives. They're standing before us saying, you'll never overcome this. Saying, you'll never be better than this. You will always be haunted by me. God, I, I pray that there'd be a miracle today. That God, you would today, you would tear down these Goliaths. God, I pray that you would break 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 the chains. Break the chains of addiction. Break the chains of of depression. Break the chains of joblessness. Break the chains of of childlessness. Break the chains of broken relationships, of, of failed relationships. Break those chains today, God. I pray that we would be a people with a courageous heart who see you more than we see anything else. I pray, God, as we see the example that David set for us, that, God, we would focus on you first and foremost above everything else, that we would see you as being greater and stronger than anything that could be put in our path. Because, God, when we see you for who you are, God, you will destroy those Goliaths. You will see those Goliaths come tumbling down. God, that's what I want for us in here today. That's what I want in our lives that these Goliaths would not no longer hold us down. But that, God, we would walk into freedom. That we would walk into success because our eyes are on you. God, I pray that you would help us to see you for who you are. That, God, there'd be nothing that would hold us back. Nothing that would hold us down. That, God, today, Goliath would come tumbling in this room. That, God, you would be greater and that you would get the victory. God, as we have the opportunity to worship you now. God, I pray for those in here today who just need to cry out to you and say, God, God, I need to see you bigger than my problem. I need to to lean to you and to focus on you. God, I pray that they would have the faith to cry out to you and and, and claim you as their savior, to claim you as being good and and, and strong and mighty and powerful. That God, today they would see their Goliath fall I pray that as we sing these words of worship, that we would be able to sing them from the bottom of our heart, believing the things that are said. God, you are a good, good Father. It's who you are. And we are loved by you. It's who we are. I ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.